0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. The end of our series working through the book of James. Got just a, a... I know you think it's going to be over any day now, but we do have just a couple more, two or three more sermons in James before we bring this series to a conclusion. Today we'll look simply at one verse, James chapter 5 and verse 12. James writes, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray together. God, your word is truth. It speaks truth to us. It reveals truth in us. And your truth exposes all lies. And so we pray today, God, that you would help us to open our hearts to your truth And to be willing, at all levels of our life, to be exposed by it. Open us to what you'd have to say to us today and draw us to yourself. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. In the fall of 1989, Princeton University welcomed in its freshman class And in that freshman class was a young man by the name of Alexi Santana. Uh, Santana entered into Princeton University that year uh, because he was selected, like all of the other freshmen, by uh, the admissions committee. And the particular admissions committee uh, that had selected him was particularly impressed with his life story. They found it to be extraordinarily compelling. He had received barely any formal schooling. He had spent his entire uh, adolescence almost by himself living outdoors in Utah where he'd herded cattle, raised sheep, and read philosophy. He learned to, uh, to be a distance runner by training himself in the Mojave Desert. And had such an incredible life story. It was a part of the admissions process. When Santa arrived on the campus of Princeton University, he became pretty quickly something of a, of a star on campus. Academically, he did remarkably well, earning A's in just about every single course he took. When a suite mate uh, that lived within the suite that he lived in uh, asked him, how is it that your bed always seems perfectly made In the morning, he replied, well, I sleep on the floor. That is one way to keep your bed made. Um, But it seemed perfectly logical that a young man who had grown up largely by himself and spent most of his life, or at least much of it sleeping outdoors, would would be comfortable sleeping on a floor. It's a fascinating story, this life of of Alexei Santana. The problem was the whole thing was a lie All of it was a lie 18 months after he enrolled in princeton 18 months after he rolled A woman recognized him as somebody she had known A man by the name of jay huntsman And she knew him from palo alto high school in california But even that wasn't his real name You see, Princeton officials eventually learned that not only was he not Alexi Santana, not only was he not Jay Huntsman, his actual name was James Hogue. He was a 31-year-old man who had served a prison sentence in Utah for possession of stolen tools and bike parts. He was taken away from Princeton in handcuffs. The story is pretty remarkable that someone could fabricate an entire life so well that he could fool an admissions committee at Princeton and could arrive on campus and perform well and fool everybody and for 18 months live a life that's a complete and utter, down to every detail, bald-faced lie. But it was possible. And it really, actually happened. It, it sort of opens us up to the whole concept of truth and lies, doesn't it? Truth and lies. It is the theme to which James speaks in verse 12 of chapter 5. As long as there have been people who have a mouth to speak, there have been liars who lie. 416 years before Christ was born, there was a philosopher by the name of Diogenes. And Diogenes um, made himself famous and largely unwelcomed in Athens because he would trudge around during the daytime with a lantern in his hand and he would shove it in people's faces during the daytime and he would say, I'm looking for an honest man. Imagine walking to the mall and have somebody do that to you. Apparently, Diogenes never found one because he kept looking for one all the time. Maybe that was the point. And if we think it's just, you know, the world that is filled with liars, we might take pause for a moment. I read a story about a pastor from just a few years ago. It's a number of years ago now. When the IRS became a little suspicious when looking at his tax return forms. It seems he had put down a $450 expense for a a clerical collar. You know what a clerical collar is, right? Well, if you just go to church here, you don't because we don't wear them. But if you are out and about or maybe in a movie, you've seen clergy who wear a white band around their their neck as a clerical collar. You know, it's the thing you wear so that you can get out of speeding tickets when you get caught in your car. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Even though the cost of living increases quite rapidly, $450 for a clerical caller just seemed a little too much. Upon further investigation, they brought the pastor in for an explanation. The auditor did, to which he admitted, oh, it was just an innocent mistake. I just misplaced the decimal. It was $4.50, not $450. Sympathetic IRS agents, of course, were gracious to the pastor. Had him pay the appropriate tax and 6% penalty and went about his way. But then one shrewd auditor began to think, maybe we should look a little more closely. As he began to look at other past income tax returns, he found that misplacing decimals happened a lot over many years. In fact, for three years in a row, things like $4.50 came out to $450 in deduction columns. When confronted... The embarrassed pastor paid the added taxes, 6% interest, and a 50% penalty for fraud. So, lying is a ubiquitous problem. It is not a problem just in the world. The reality of lying and dishonesty and deception is really quite obvious to us all. We are born into a, a culture That is steeped in these things and we participate willfully Lying has become so commonplace in our culture uh, That as a culture we largely just accept it as a part of the way things are It's just normal It's part of our whole cultural context Let's just think about a few examples in our culture Just look at the world of politics and we all give a collective sigh, right? The whole enterprise is built on lying and deception. Isn't that right? The whole enterprise is built on that. The whole election process is about building a a public perception of yourself. It's not about who you really are, it's about what you can get people to believe you really are so that they will then vote for you. It doesn't matter if they find out the truth after the election closes, all that matters is how they vote. And whether it's actually true or not, doesn't matter. And so candidates say all sorts of things when they're on the campaign trail. And it doesn't matter if it's true or it isn't true, because the whole enterprise is built about earning votes. And so you go in front of this group, and you find out what it is that they want, and that they're after, and that they're interested in, and you promise them all those things. It doesn't matter if you have any intention of ever doing any of that. On the backside, this doesn't matter. What's true isn't important. We see this from the very top of our political structure. I can remember as a younger man looking at the TV screen and seeing a President Bill Clinton looking out into the TV screen saying to all of us as Americans, I did not have relations with that woman. But we all knew, and it later came to bear, that he in fact did. It was a blatant lie. Not too many years after that, when President Bush was in office, you could probably remember if you pay attention to the news, you could hardly see a press conference or some public scene without somebody holding a sign that simply had two words. Do you remember what it was? Bush lied. After him was President Obama, Obama, who was also a masterful and eloquent liar. And in his mind, the ends justified the means, and so it didn't really matter. So you could go out and and, and say, we have a a new health care plan, and it's going to be wonderful, and and you're going to get to keep your doctors if you love them, and and you're going to have $1,500 more in your bank account at the end of the year. It didn't matter that any of that was true or not. And he knew it wasn't true when he told it and admitted that after the fact. That wasn't the point. The point was getting it passed. And of course we know our current president has no problem whatsoever tweeting fast and loose with the truth, right? So truth and lies, lying, deception, dishonesty, it's not a Republican or a Democrat problem. It's a human problem. It's a sin problem. And it's not just that it's in politics, but it's so, it's so common in our culture that we're even actually entertained by lies and lying. If you just sort of boil them all down to their baseline, pretty much every reality TV show revolves around lying and dishonesty and deception. Isn't that fair to say? Now, I don't watch a whole lot of modern um, uh, reality TV, but I have at different p- points in life watched some of it. I remember Survivor, it's probably the longest lasting one. And how many of you have seen Survivor before the show? Just raise your hand so I can... Okay. Some of you know that... If you haven't seen it, do you know the show, what it's about? Just do this. All right. All right. That makes me feel better. I'll proceed with the illustration. Um, so the whole book, the whole, the whole show Survivor, is all about lying and deception, right? You know, you're voting people off of the island and you're competing with one another on teams. And the whole idea is to be the last man or the last woman standing so you win the million dollar prize. And so all the time people are jockeying for position and, 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 and lining up in sort of uh, allegiances with one another. And all of that is built around lying to one so that the other believes this and, and betraying these so that you can get in with those so that you don't get voted out. And, you know, pretty much at the end of the game, you get a million dollars for being the best liar It says something When one of your superheroes In one of the biggest blockbuster superhero movies Going in the last few years Wonder Woman Which was a pretty good Marvel I mean, you know, pretty good DC movie if, if I might say so Has as a weapon A lasso That when people touch it It makes them tell the truth That only works in a culture Where everybody lies And we all know that everybody lies. I mean, what good is a lasso that makes people tell the truth if you live in a culture where everyone already tells the truth? That's a stupid weapon. But if you live in a culture where everybody lies, it's a really handy thing to have. And we all wish we had one. We live in a culture that's built off of moral relativism, sort of a philosophical mindset that says there are no absolutes. Everything is sort of situationally defined. Everything is sort of personally defined. Uh, what is right and what is true for me isn't necessarily what's right and what's true for you. Um, what's right and true for me is a matter of my own perspective and definition, and what is right and true for you is a matter of your own perspective and definition. There's no such thing as, as an absolute true truth or an absolute right that's right across the board. It's all just sort of relative. That's why Bill Clinton could say something like two months after the September 11th attacks at Georgetown University, speaking of the terrorists who perpetrated that horrendous act, he could say something like this, Nobody's got the truth. You're at a university which basically believes that no one ever has the whole truth. The terrorists, they believe they've got the truth. Because we don't believe you can have the whole truth. We think everybody counts. Well, what is that? Well, it's just a president sitting explaining moral relativism. Now, we're no better than the terrorists. They think they have the truth. We think we have the truth. You know, everybody just does what they do. Who are we to say? John MacArthur says this, Fallen men are basically inveterate liars. Children lie to their parents, and parents lie to their children. Husbands lie to their wives, and wives lie to their husbands. People tell lies to their employers, who in turn lie to them, and often to the public. Politicians lie to get elected and continue to lie once they're in office. People lie to the government, perhaps most notably on their income tax returns. Educators lie, scientists lie, and members of the media lie. Our society is built on a framework of lies leading one to wonder whether our social structure would even survive if everyone were forced to speak the truth for just one day. It's a good question and a keen observation. A few years ago, my wife and I had a significant uh, difference of opinion. She knew this was coming, I'm sure. We got into this um, spirited debate about what constitutes a lie. I argued... Uh, the point that anything that's not true, if you say it, and it's not true, then it's a lie. To which she countered, no, lying includes the intent to deceive. Is that right? That lying includes the intent to deceive. It's not just if it's right or wrong. But to be a lie, there has to be some intent to deceive. And uh, we went a good four or five rounds on that one. Um, And I held my ground as long as I possibly could. Uh, But I've had to admit subsequently that indeed she was right on that one. Um, Technically, a lie is saying something that's untrue with the intention of deceiving somebody else. I don't know what you call the other category of things that are not true, but I didn't intend to deceive you. Oh, misinformation is the category, apparently. Okay, okay. Misinformation. But lying is intent to deceive. And people lie all the time. But lying is indeed an outward expression of a much deeper problem. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and following, Jesus speaking to some uh, remarkable liars of his day, religious leaders, the Pharisees. He says this, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? And here's the part I want you to catch. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks the mouth speaks the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil And so the problem of lying is a mouth problem But it's not just that that's the problem The problem is that it reveals something about what's going on deeper into the heart a lying mouth reveals a deceptive heart a dishonest heart It's not just the activity, it's the heart behind it. A basic life principle we should all understand is this. The words that we speak provide other people with windows through which they see the contents of our heart. The words that we speak provide other people windows through which they can see the contents of our heart. And when we are liars and we lie to people, it speaks of a dishonest heart. And James brings up this issue here. Here in James chapter 5, this issue of lying and this issue of deception. I won't have time to go into it much today, but there was an article in chapter, in a, from 2017 in National Geographic. You can look it up. It's, an, it's a lengthy article uh, that looks in depth at the, at the culture of, of lying in which we live. Uh, you'll find it fascinating, one excerpt, from that article simply says this lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease in big ways and in small ways. To strangers, to co workers, to friends, and loved ones, our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental to us as our need to trust others, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into the very fabric of our lives so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. James understood it. It was true of the humans in his day, just like it's true of the humans in our day. And James brings this up in the context of this letter where he is trying to lay out principles of what it looks like to, to possess authentic faith. What it looks like when someone is truly transformed by the lord jesus christ in their heart how that fleshes out in a life And james is trying to help us look at our own lives and give us sort of some benchmarks to be able to Encourage and help one another by saying if christ has truly changed you and you've truly been Regenerated by the spirit of god then here are some things that will happen in your life You'll respond to suffering a certain way. You'll regard the word of god a certain way You will Treat other people a certain way. And you'll speak, the words that come out of your mouth will, will sound a certain way. He's talked about the tongue and how we use it many times. And contrasted how people who know Christ use their tongue versus how The unregenerate world around us uses the tongue. And so he circles back to that issue again here at the end of the letter in verse 12, in just this one verse, and he simply is making a statement to us, and that statement is simply this. Believers should stand out from a lying culture as different. In the midst of a lying culture, people who know the Lord Jesus Christ should stand out as different. They should be remarkable because they're known for telling the truth. And that makes sense, right if the mouth is a window into the heart and if Christ by his spirit resides in my heart, then my speech should reflect that reality fair to say sure and the scriptures have a lot to say about lying and truth a Lot to say about this issue so much so that we have no way don't even scratch the surface this morning We're told in John chapter 8 verse 44 that Satan is a liar who perpetrates lies and who breeds lying in his followers. Jesus said, you're the father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is sort of the poster child for lying, and he breeds lying in those who follow after him. The first time we encounter him in Scripture, he's having a conversation with Eve around a tree and a fruit. And what's coming out of his mouth? Lies. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, you won't surely die. No, that's not true. He's the father of lies. And he prompts men to lie. Acts chapter 5, you may remember the context, Ananias and Sapphira. They had come before the people of the Lord and had had made a vow to give a certain amount of their wealth uh, from the sale of a property to the people of the Lord and to the temple. And when it came time to give it, they shortchanged their commitment. Peter confronts them in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To keep back part, for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. It wasn't just that you kept it back. But you lied about it. Why did you have to lie about it? The lying of Ananias was a seed planted there by an enemy of his soul, Satan. In contrast to Satan, who is the father of lies, and a prolific liar stands God, who is consistently described As a God of truth. Exodus chapter 34. We saw this last week. Verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed His own name. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and in truth. Satan is a liar and God abounds in the truth. In John chapter 14, we're told of Jesus that He is described as the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life. In John chapter 16, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and He says, But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And part of the role that He plays in your life and mine is He guides us into what? Into the truth. So Satan is a liar who perpetrates lies, who breathes lying in those who follow Him. God is a God of all truth. Christ is the the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth who helps people who follow Him walk in the truth and know the truth and live the truth and speak the truth. What we also know is that God hates lying and dishonesty and in the end will judge people who do it. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal faithfully are His delight. Lying lips, an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal faithfully are his delight. Now, it's easy for us to, as we start looking at these scriptures and start thinking about this issue, to say, you know what? I tell the truth, I don't, I'm not a liar. And we start thinking about sort of big, egregious ways we could lie that we don't, and we sort of exonerate ourselves, right? Like, you know, I'm not telling my wife that I'm faithful to her and not being faithful to her. That would be a lie. I don't lie like that. In general, I put my right income on my income tax statement. When people ask me questions, I normally tell them, you know, the truth. But we begin to dig a little deeper. We start to find that lying has little tiny roots that root all sorts of ways into our lives. Ways that we exaggerate just a little. Ways that we fudge just a little. Ways that we omit certain details of the truth. Ways that we take parts of the truth to shade and make ourselves look a certain way that isn't exactly accurate but isn't exactly a lie. All sorts of ways we have of evading pure truth. All of which really account to lies and James says look if you're gonna walk with the Lord You can't live like that that when Christ has transformed your life It doesn't look like a lie a life of dishonesty and deception It looks like a life where when I speak people know that what I'm saying is the truth They're not wondering when I open my mouth and tell them something. I wonder if that's for real I wonder I wonder if that's accurate And so he introduces us to this issue in this simple verse. And he shows us the problem of lying. He introduces us to the issue. It was a problem in his day just like it is ours. He says, but above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Now, it's an interesting way of introducing the issue because we don't live in his culture. We don't understand immediately what he's talking about because it doesn't sort of happen or manifest the way it did in his culture. In our culture, but it looks quite similar when we work through it Uh, As we walk into this passage is above all at the beginning Uh, If you study this passage much, you'll see commentators are pretty split over what James means when he says above all at the beginning of this James has been talking about an awful lot of things and he's had a lot to say about a lot of different issues And so this uh, phrase that's translated above all does uh, there's some debate about what does James mean? Does he mean this is the most important thing that he said in the entire letter? Is this above everything else he said? Uh, that would seem a little bit odd because it just sort of, sort of stuck here. And he says it one time and then he moves on to other things, many other things that he talks a lot more about. Um, it seems more likely to me that a better way of translating this would be um, uh, something along the lines of a, transition, sort of a transitionary statement that moves from the previous text into this sort of last piece, sort of as a, an introduction to the ending of the book. But it's hard to know. What does he mean when he says, above all? What we can say at least is this, that James is saying to us that this is an important issue. How it relates to other things that he's talked about is really unimportant. What matters is, James is telling us, it matters whether we're honest or not. This is an important thing. It matters whether we're people who speak what we mean and mean what we speak. And it's important because we tend to minimize it, as we've talked about. We we have these little categories like little white lies, and everyone tells a few here and there, no big deal, it's not hurting anybody, so on and so forth. But James is concerned about the issue. And so he says, do not swear. Again, we don't know what he's talking about, really. In our culture, we use the word swearing in different ways, right? When you tell your kid, don't swear, you might mean there's certain words that you don't want him or her to say. That's called swearing swearing. Usually by generations older than mine, but it it is used that way. That's coarse language or cursing. Paul addresses that in Ephesians chapter 4, but it's not what James is talking about here. He's not talking about coarse language or cursing. The other question that's raised by this statement that James makes is James saying, is he laying down sort of a um, a, a blanket rule for all oaths in any context for all times? Is he saying to us that it's always wrong in every context to take any kind of an oath? Well, I hope not, because we just asked two of our church members to take one this morning in our presence. And if that's what James is saying, then we just asked Josh and Meredith to lie before us and sin. Incidentally, there are some Christian groups, if you trace back in the history of the church through the Anabaptists, some old Anabaptist groups and some groups that still exist that kind of flow out of that part of the family tree, if you will, um, have understood this text to mean just that, and they won't even... Uh, take you know testify in court They won't take an oath in court They won't take any kind of an oath They won't take a marriage vow They won't take anything But that's not what James is, is talking about here James is not laying down And Jesus speaks to this in Matthew's gospel as well The issue isn't all oaths Blanket statement for all time There is a distinction between Between oaths in casual conversation And sort of the formal Sort of legal kind of oath That's being taken And, and I don't want to go too far down the road with this, but we see this all throughout Scripture because we see godly people making oaths all throughout, even God himself taking an oath at one point in time. All the way back to Genesis 21, we see an oath that Abraham takes, Joshua and Rahab and Joshua too. David and Jonathan uh, take an oath with one another. Paul speaks of an oath in Acts chapter 18. In Exodus 22, um, God required his people make an oath before him. In Hebrews chapter 6, God himself took an oath by his own name. So the idea is, in Scripture, there are oaths that are taken that seem legitimate, that seems even that God is ordaining and taking himself, that are particular moments, serious occasions, where the truth just needs to be foot stomped on. In such a context, it's appropriate then to get married and to make an oath. It's appropriate to be ordained and to make an oath that you intend to keep with public accountability. It's important as families who are given the the gift of a child to make an oath to the Lord to raise them in a godly sort of a way in, in public view and with some level of accountability. That's a different thing to what James is speaking to here. Now, James is speaking to a particular cultural thing that was going on in his day. And that was led by the religious leaders, some of the most pious and religious people. They had developed this whole entire system of ordaining lying, of baptizing their deception. They had this whole, this whole system developed whereby if they wanted to give the appearance of honesty, right, and wanted people to think they were honest, they would take an oath with them about something. It they would, they would swear to them that they were going to do something or not do something. And that oath could look a lot of different ways. They could take an oath by heaven or an oath by Jerusalem. Or they would say, I swear by the temple or by the altar in the temple or by the veil in the temple. Or even their own heads they would swear by. It was a way of saying, I'm going to do something and you can know that I'm telling you the truth because I'm going to make an oath to you. I'm going to swear by the temple that I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. But in their minds, they knew that there was always a way out. You see, as long as they didn't swear in the name of the Lord, or they had some other ones, swear by the gold in the temple, you see, if you didn't do one of those two things, then you could break it without any legal ramifications. And so they would go around swearing by the temple. Hey, uh, uh, we're going to do this business exchange, John. And uh, six months from now, I'm going to pay you 5% interest and give you your money back that you lent me. Five months or six months goes by. And all of a sudden, I changed my mind. And I don't want to pay John his money back. Because back then, I said, John, I swore by the temple I'm going to do this, brother. And John took me at my word and gives me his money on, on loan. Six months later, I say, Yeah, I don't really want to pay John that money back. He's, got, he's loaded. He doesn't need it. Right? I could use it. I need a new camel or something. And so, John comes to say, hey, Greg, you remember that the promise you made to pay me back my money? Oh yeah, John. Do you remember we made that oath, John? I swore by the temple, but I didn't swear by the gold in the temple, John. You see? Or I swore by my own head. Or I swore by the veil in the temple. Or I swore by... It was a way of making promises and giving sort of the appearance of honesty while at the same time knowing full well that if you decide to change your mind, you've got a way out. Now, we don't swear by temples and veils in the temples, but you know what we do? And we learn this when we're kids, right? We make a promise to somebody to their face, and we do this. Right? Come on. You did that, right? When you're a kid? Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you your toy back. Why didn't you give me my toy back? Oh, I didn't really mean it. I had my fingers crossed. And then when they get keen to that, you make the promise kind of like this. See, fingers were crossed, but my legs are crossed. Right? We have all kinds of it's the same kind of a thing. It's it's making promises and saying we're going to do something or purporting something to be the truth when in reality we know it isn't the truth and we know we have no intention of doing it. You see, we have this sort of sick thing going on in our minds that we want to be perceived as being honest while being liars. It's interesting. That's what was going on. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. And this is what James is rebuking. They were making oaths that they never intended to keep, providing a way out, a loophole. And so James says to them, Hey, brothers, how about this? How about stop making all these stupid oaths? How about stop swearing to people things? Whether it be by heaven or earth or the, any other kind of a thing that you're doing how about let's just try this on for size why don't you just speak what you mean and mean what you speak how about just say the truth how about when you tell something to somebody do it so that when people engage you it's not necessary for you to give some sort of thing beyond that because they know you to be a person of integrity and a person of your word And they don't require that of you. We only require those kinds of things of people that we know to be liars. And it's funny, why do we require it if we know them to be liars? Why do we think they're going to hold that? That's what James is speaking to here. Don't, don't, don't. How about this? How about let's just all speak to one another with integrity of speech and honesty. How about let's just be honest? Instead of being liars and trying to cover over our Lying with these oaths and these oaths by the temple and oaths by this and that and the other thing How about that? If you flip over to Matthew's gospel Jesus says almost the same thing In Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you don't take an oath either by heaven or earth It's for it, It is the throne of God or by the excuse me Don't don't take an oath at all either by heaven for it's the throne of God or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is his city And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot you cannot make one hair white or black. That what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus is making a statement. The same thing was going on in Jesus' day. Jesus says, "Look, this is something stupid. You swear by the temple, and you think that doesn't matter. Whose temple is it? It's the Lord's temple. You think you can swear by the temple and not swear in His name? It's His place. You think you can swear by your head? Who made that head?" God made that head. It's his head. You think you're getting by with your dishonesty by swearing on all these things because somehow in doing that you're not invoking him into the process? The reality is every time you make an oath like that, you're invoking him in the process because everything you're swearing by belongs to him. So despite the fact that you think you're making promises that you don't intend to keep and you're not bringing him into the equation, he's always in the equation when you make a promise. That's a pretty startling thing to realize when you think you've been getting away with your lying for a long time. But that's what's going on. Do we do this kind of stuff? Do we do this kind of stuff? We tell somebody, I swear I'm going to do it. I swear. Sometimes people even say in our culture, what? I swear to... They will invoke God's name. I swear to God I'm going to do that. I swear on my mama's grave, I'm going to do it. I swear on... You just fill in the blank, right? You've heard these things. Maybe said these things. Why why is that necessary? If we're people of integrity and speech and people who speak the truth. What Jesus argues and what James has been saying is this. To do that is to actually blaspheme God and is to violate one of the great commandments, to take the Lord's name in vain. Because we're invoking Him to give credence to our promise when we have no intention of keeping the promise. It's a pretty serious and egregious sort of a sin. And you know, the reality is we probably all need to stop for just a second and think about the reality of this and ask ourselves some hard questions about, does this thing invade our life? Because James says there's an answer to it. And the answer to it is this. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. How about just speak with simplicity? Say what you mean and let it mean what what you say. Don't cover it up with a whole bunch of other stuff that's just meant to hide reality. Just let yes be yes and let no be no. How about just speak with clarity so that what you say is clear It's not a bunch of gobbledygook that has got loopholes built in for you to get out of later If you don't want to hold to what you say Or if you want to have leverage to change your mind later How about just be simple How about just be clear And how about let it just be the truth Yes, yes No, no If we lived that way we'd never have to say Well to be honest with you what do you mean to be honest with you? Are you not normally honest with me? Or this time I really mean it. I found a couple of articles that I just want to breeze through really quickly before we sort of bring this to a conclusion. It's an article from uh, 2016. This caught my attention. It's called Americans will lie about pretty much anything. Listen to this. Researchers asked 2,000 Americans about the lies they tell. And the ones they 're told the most common lie ninety two percent of people surveyed said that they tell is quote i'm fine you ever told that lie what's wrong with you honey i'm fine no you're not that's a lie. Your face tells a different story i 'm fine ninety two percent of people that's a lie. The second most frequently told fib is quote I love this present. 80% of people admitted to that one. 78% of participants confessed to twisting the truth by claiming, quote, sorry, I'm sick. Not feeling well. It's the third most widely told lie. Americans are least likely to be honest with their co-workers. About 27% of Americans... Um, Of the participants in this particular survey admitted to lying on the job It was interesting that they also in this particular survey asked people to rank various common lies In in sort of a a scale of severity, you know sort of you know from from uh, One to five which ones are the most severe and which ones are the least severe The, The least severe lies that were common that people tell are these quote your baby's cute Here's another. I'm really bad with names. The authors of the survey concluded there's a very fine line between a little white lie and a big fat whopper. Some of the other most commonly told lies I'm on the way, I'm leaving in five minutes. Let's keep in touch. Fascinatingly, in this survey, at the end of the survey, participants were asked, "Did you lie in this survey?" Four percent admitted to lying in that survey. Let me get, show you a few graphics here, if we can pull them up, for you to just kind of get a, a, a quick flyby of how pervasive this is, because it's going to touch into <laughs> into your little your world like it does mine. Look at this one: Why people lie. Why do people lie? You probably can't read that from back there. Twenty-two percent. Uh, For personal transgression, they cover up a mistake or misdeed 16% of people lie for economic advantage 15% for personal advantage 8% of people lie for self-impression To shape a positive image of themselves 5% lie for humor To make people laugh 14% lie For avoidance To escape or evade other people Ever lied to escape or evade somebody? I'd like to go have coffee with you. Um, My cousin just died. I have to go to the funeral. (laughs) 2% of people lie out of social reasons to be polite, to uphold social roles. 4% of people lie just to hurt people. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? What about some other statistics? Let me give you this. I'll roll through these really quickly. Oh, time's way up. Here, listen to this. Who gets lied to the most? Parents. 86%. People lie to their parents at some point. 75% of people admit to lying to their friends. 69% admit to lying to their spouse. 31% of people admit to lying on their resumes. 32% of people lie to their doctor. That's pretty dangerous, people. Don't do that. Lying is considered more common on phone calls than face-to-face. Why do you think that is? Americans, on average, tell 11 lies per week. Most people lie an average of four times per day, which equates to 1,460 lies per year. And the statistics tell us a man can lie twice as much as a woman Up to six times a day Women mostly three times a day Nine out of ten middle schoolers admit regularly to cheating on homework And this goes all the way up to identity fraud Do we have a problem people? We have a problem and in a culture that looks like that James is saying look If you belong to Christ, those statistics should not mark your life. What should mark your life is the word yes means yes, and the word no means no. When people speak to you and they hear you speak, they can go to the bank knowing that what you've said is true. That they're not being deceived, that you're not being dishonest, but that you're telling them them what's actual and what's real. And while we laugh at some of those little things, because we know that we've done them, it does cause us to pause here at the end and stop and say, even though I chuckle under my nervous laughter, the reality is I know I do those things. And I probably don't think it matters as much as it actually does matter. And I probably don't consider the ramifications of what I'm doing nearly enough. That lies probably roll out of my mouth far too easily. I far too easily stretch the truth. I far too easily let things go that I know are not true. I far too easily want people to think a certain way about me, so I shade the truth so that they will. And James is saying to us, look, two things. If your life is marked largely by a regular pattern of lying and dishonesty and deception, you should look at yourself long and hard in the mirror because there's a great possibility that you might not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that's how the world lives. And if you claim to know Christ, you claim to be transformed by Him, there should be some evidence in the way that you speak truth, not an unbroken pattern of dishonesty. And he says to those of us who are believers, look, if you're a believer and and you belong to me, then your speech ought to reflect that. And there should be really no room in your life for even the slightest little area where you say it's okay for me to stretch it here or to shade it there. And so we should look ourselves in the mirror and ask the question, can people count on us? When I tell my spouse something, does he or does she, does she believe it instantly because she knows I'm truthful? When I talk to my children, can they take what I say to them to the bank because they know their mom and their dad is not lying to them? When I'm engaging my coworkers in my office and I say something to them or I give them advice or I tell them something about myself, can they take that to the bank and know that it's true? If not, then we have some repentance to do before the Lord and we need His grace. The wonderful thing is we serve a Savior who is a the Lord of righteousness, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He shed His blood on the cross even for our lying. And He shed His blood that we might be forgiven and that we might be freed from the necessity of lying. You see, if I feel like I have to earn God's favor in my life, then I'm always going to be about the business of lying to make myself look more righteous than I am. But if I understand that I'm a compulsive liar by nature and that Christ has died for my sin and He will forgive me and He already knows the worst about me and loves me just the same, then I can just shed all the lying and I can come before Him with an honest heart and say, Lord, I've done it again and I need Your help in making me honest. Please forgive me. I don't need to hide from You. Help me to reflect my faith in the way that I speak and the honest way that I live. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you should know him. He can change you. He can forgive the lies. And he could birth inside of you a new truth that will come out and make a difference in all of your relationships. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we, uh, this subject makes us itchy. It makes us twitchy. Because we like, to, we like to make ourselves feel better by saying we don't lie. And when we do that, we really mean just the big things. We're not cheating on our spouse. We're not living some double life somewhere like people do. We're not doing the big stuff, and so we're all right. But your text this morning, Lord, it confronts us at the very base level of our hearts, and it asks us the question, does your yes mean yes? To everybody And does your no mean no all the time? And Lord, that question exposes our hearts. It just exposes us to things we don't want to admit. We want people to think we're good. But you see us as we are and you love us just the same. So we come before you at the conclusion of this, Lord as believers in this room, just sort of laying out the ways in which we deceive before You and asking for Your forgiveness. Perhaps for things we've done this very week, lies we've told to our spouse, lies we've told to our children, lies we've told to our employer or to a friend or to a parent. We just confess that that darkness to You. We understand that that's not what You are. And it's not what you've called your children to. So please forgive us. And we pray that by your Spirit you would lead us into truth. That you would help us to speak the truth and to live the truth. For the one who's here, who who knows that the, the pattern of their life is just lies and deception. Because they don't know you, they have no capacity for truth. I pray that in these moments they would be drawn to you, Lord Jesus, and find forgiveness. For Your sake we pray. Amen. If you have questions or you want somebody to pray with you this morning, as we sing this last song, just slip to the back of the room. I'd be happy to pray with you. We've got others who would be uh, uh, happy to do so as well. Let's stand and sing this song together. together. On together. On together. On together. On together.